Welcome to the Life to the Fullest podcast. I'm your host, Dan Jason, here with you today on the EF3 Life platform. I am super excited and stoked because today we're going to talk about the keys to investing. I understand that 2024 is going to be an exceptional year for you holistically, and one of those things is diving deeply into your finances. I hope that your year has started off well. You know, January saw us have a little positive momentum, not too much swing in terms of that gain in January for the S&P 500. But I'm certain that, you know, through good sound investing, through understanding our finances a little bit more and realizing how to develop a blueprint for wealth, we can do things at an exceptional rate here in 2024 and set a game plan for the future. And I want to break it down into five key topics today. The first is how to strategize and plan your investments based on a cash flow. Cash flow is something that we have to analyze and take a look at in order to make gains. Number two, risk tolerance level. Every time that we invest money or we take a position in some kind of investment vehicle, we have to understand the risk and the reward and weigh the options. Number three is the time period that we're investing in and the landscape that all depends upon our age and our goals. So it's specific to every person's particular situation. Number four, bulletproofing our portfolio. This is going to be very important for us when we consider the, the investments that we get into. And lastly, number five, my top picks for February 2024, okay, based on research, analytics, what the gurus are saying, as well as beyond throughout the rest of this year and into 2025. So we're going to discuss what to look for in stocks. We're going to break down the SP 500 index and really take a deep dive into specific avenues for investing. It's a great time to be with us here today. And if you want to check out my great book, Winning with Money Dollars and Cents, you can get it on Amazon.com as well as my website, ef3life.com slash financial. So number one, how to create a financial blueprint and a strategy for planning. This is something that really is exceptionally important in order to invest. You need to have positive cash flow. When we talk about cash flow, we're talking about net income, the positive amounts of money that are coming in based on our income stream versus our debts and also expenses when you do the analytics. And with limited debt and having, you know, sometimes you might have a good debt and we, we won't stress too much on leveraging good debt today. That's for another time and place, but you can have certain types of debt and that goes into this equation as well, including a mortgage, maybe a rental property, some kind of low interest rate uh, that is making more in return over all a positive balance sheet. And that's what we're looking for in terms of cash flows an overall positive balance sheet. I talked about it in the beginning of this year, running your household like a business. It is exceptionally important if you were to make gains in the financial realm in 2024. So how do we do that? We have to do a cash flow analysis. And this is taking all of your expenses and weighing them out, writing them down, listing it out, taking an inventory of it. And I encourage you to do it over the course of a three month period. So that way you could take the net aggregate average of that time span. Number two, you have to build a budget. And it's something that 
allows you to live within guardrails, guidelines that keep you on the path to financial freedom and success. And you must remember, like I tell so many that I advise, to pay yourself first. You're working so hard, you're diligent, you're going to your nine to five, and many of you out there have side hustles. Make sure that you pay yourself first so that those positive monies are working for you and it is helping you to build your wealth for your future. Number two, risk tolerance. There are three types of risk that you have to weigh. And certainly we know the market and these different spaces for investing, there's different levels of volatility. There's mild, medium, and high types of risk. For those people who are trying to enjoy the Super Bowl on Sunday, uh, just one day away, it is amazing to think about uh, the high-level athletes that are going to be on the field. Shout out to Novice Clothing Company, my friends over there, and uh, working with the guys and a couple of great athletes, George Odom of the San Francisco 49ers and Harrison Bucker of the Kansas City Chiefs. They're going to be going at it. And so many people are going to be chowing down on wings. So you have your mild, your medium, and your hot wings, high level. So thinking about it in terms of an investment and risk tolerance, certainly there are different levels, right? If you're investing and you're taking mild risk, you're probably going to have a more mild or moderate return in terms of the reward. For those who are dialing it up a little bit and you're taking a medium level risk, certainly that comes with a little bit higher of a reward. There's more volatility. There's more swings in the market. There's more chances that you could lose, but also you could gain over a select period of time. And then there's the high risk. So for those who are younger, oftentimes you hear when you're meeting with a financial planner or somebody that is helping you to select stock picks in a brokerage or where you're going to be investing in long haul for your retirement fund is to take more risk from the get-go as you're a little bit younger because you have time to make up and to do dollar cost averaging, but also to rebound if there is massive swings in the market or dips for that matter. So understanding your risk tolerance level is super important. So you feel comfortable with what you are investing in and what type of avenue that you're going down. Now, I like to think of it if you're driving a vehicle. And for some of us, if you're a new beginner, you know, oftentimes we don't want to go on very curvy roads or you know, streets that are extraordinarily busy. We wouldn't take our vehicle to maybe New York City and drive during um, rush hour if we're a brand new driver. We just got our learner's permit. Okay, that probably wouldn't be the most uh, advantageous thing to do, let alone responsible. So if you're somebody who's getting into the investment game or you're thinking of new avenues or pathways for making more money with your um, disposable cash that is set aside to earn more dollars with, you know, you want to take it a little bit slower, maybe take a more mild approach. For those who have been in it for a little while, want to dial it up a bit and maybe make a little bit more in return over the course of time, take that mild to moderate approach. And then for those who, you know, they have extra amount of money and maybe there is some risk involved and they're willing to risk a lot in order to get a higher reward, certainly that high level tolerance, um, that might be for you. That's all part of your game plan and talking it out with your financial planner or somebody who is advising you. You have to realize that anything that you invest in, whether it is stocks, bonds, mutual funds, okay, ETFs, securities, treasuries, uh, cash assets, real estates, 
Um, all these things come with risk. There's some kind of level of risk. They all have different levels, um, just like different wings have different types of temperatures and some of them taste better to, to people than others. Um, some avenues are historically more risky just over the course of time and you can see the trends and others will have a high reward for taking that greater amount of risk. So it comes down to personal preference and what you feel like you're willing to ultimately put on the table. It's kind of like in a game of poker. If you're putting your chips on the table, you're willing to bet that and going all in on it um, from a standpoint of you know how many chips that you're putting on the table, that's how much you're willing to risk. And you have to be comfortable with losing it all, especially when it comes to the market. If I put these on the table right now, if I lose it all, am I still okay? Am I feeling um, you know, all right? And am I able to continue on with not only my life and my expenses, but build from there, maybe bounce back. If you're not, you're probably putting too much out there or into that investment vehicle. You might want to dial it back a little bit. Just some uh, tips of advice right there for you. So one thing that I like to do is to share with people, and I do this exercise for those that I'm helping to advise, and that is um, if you were to take $100, right, and you were to lose 50% of that money, how much do you have left? Well, you have $50, of course, because you lost half of it. In order to get back that 100 so back to that baseline of $100 starting point, I ask people, what percentage do you need to make the next year to get back to that baseline? And people have this reaction right away, and they say, of course, I need to make a 50% gain right, to get that $50 back. But that's actually incorrect. In order to get back to the 100 you actually have to have a 100% gain, meaning you have $50 and you earn a 100% return. Now you earn $50. So 50 plus 50 gets you back to that 100% baseline. If you only got 50% back, you would be at 75 because you all have only made $25. So the point that I'm trying to make here is depending upon your risk tolerance level, you have to really evaluate that because the losses can far significantly more hurt you than the gains can help, especially if they're stacked numerous years in a row. People will say, well, then, Dan, what do I do? How do I make wise investments if there's so much volatility, if there's market risk? Um, maybe I shouldn't do it and I should just put it under my pillow or under my mattress. That's certainly not a good idea. There are sound investment vehicles that can help you. And over the course of time, that's where it comes in as well. And that is a very important strategy to understand. And that gets us to point number three, because the S&P 500 has been around for uh, about 100 years. And uh, the top 500 companies that are part of that tried and true. And although those can at times fluctuate, uh, there's been positive growth over that period of time, even in the last 30 years. right? And we're going to get into looking at the actual numbers later on in this episode. But for now, I want you to turn your focus to the investment time period table because it's ultra important for you to look at it from a chunking standpoint. And what I mean by that is from now where you're at, at this very moment, through the next year, okay, what do your investments look like? What are your goals? What are you trying to accomplish in the next 365 days? Or to make it a little easier for yourself until 2025. Then over the next five years, what are your goals? What are your hopes? What are your desires with your investment monies? 
What do you need liquidity for? Meaning access to that money to be able to utilize it and to, you know, be able to put it into other avenues or maybe you need to take it out to spend or put it into a home or something of that nature. And then how about the next 10 years? Finally, the next 30 years, if you're somebody who's a little bit younger, most people I'm willing to bet are not day trading. And if you are, this episode is not going to talk about day trading. Okay. However, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It's definitely really great and can be super advantageous. Um, I did a little bit of it during the COVID period and it could be very lucrative, but you could also lose your shirt very quickly. It's very volatile and there's extremely high risk in doing so. Even with great research, you really have to know the candlesticks and understanding all of the numbers and you know, being very quick and having actually a very operable computer system that can really turn the tables and, and execute those trades instantaneously. But when I discuss with people based on their age and their goals, what they're trying to accomplish over a select period of time is extraordinarily important for what investment vehicle they're going to drive in. The time period and how much risk that they can actually take on is super important as well as in addition to leverage and compound interest. And again, think of it in the car example. If your 16-year-old daughter or son said, you know, can I take the car for a spin? Most parents, what are they doing? They're getting a lower budget, lower level vehicle for their child, or if they have an older car in their family, they're allowing that kid to quote unquote practice driving with that vehicle. Why? Because it is a lower risk, okay? Not only is the insurance going to be lower on an older vehicle, but if something were to happen, well, they're not taking on as much money to repair it because it's not worth as much. You're not giving your kid a Ferrari to drive in at 16 years old. At least I wouldn't advise it. Later on in life, when you have made it, maybe you know, you're at the tail end of your working career or you're somebody that has really built a great business or what have you, and you're driving that Mercedes-Benz or that Lexus or maybe that... Um, Maserati, whatever car brand is your car of your dreams. And for disclaimer out there, I'm not a car guy. Everybody who knows me understands that. I've been driving a very um, moderate level vehicle, actually low level for most uh, Toyota Corolla. And I'm not ashamed to say this. My money goes into other avenues. Um, whatever your fancy is, that doesn't matter. But my point here is, that I'm trying to make is the fact that at that point in your life with driving experience, with uh, a lot of money in the bank, a lot of money invested, a lot of money in your future and your retirement accounts, it's okay to take on more risk. That is perfectly acceptable and fine and it will work out in your favor. Number four, types of investments that you can make. So there are many options. How do you decide? You must know about them first, okay? Certainly, um, you have to understand the menu that is being served. You go to a restaurant, could be your favorite restaurant, and you haven't tested out the majority of the foods, probably not going to know what to order. So you might order something that's a little bit more familiar to you. You might have something that you've had before at another place to kind of ease your way into this new environment and this dining scene. Well, the same holds to be true when it comes to investments. If you want to grow in creating a more diverse portfolio, you must understand what to utilize first. And you have to know about it and 
To do so, you have to learn and educate yourself. So that's what I'm trying to do here today. We're going to take a quick commercial break right now, and then we'll be right back at it in a moment. The Life to the Fullest podcast is brought to you by EF3 Life. Make sure you check out ef3life.com for great books, resources, and more episodes of this podcast, like the one you're listening to right now, to help your money to grow. There's great faith-based books as well, like The Saint Next Door and Fire Burning Within, along with my best-selling financial book, Winning with Money, Dollars and Cents. I'm your host, Dan Jason, and I am very excited to launch another avenue of this platform in the future through my financial planning and advising platform. Back to the action. We are now here with you today discussing finances and all the ins and outs, all the different avenues, all the abilities and possibilities, the vehicles we could drive, understanding the time frame, uh, considering our goals, the types of investments, and risk tolerance level before we discuss towards the tail end of this show. And that's why I want you to stick with me because this is going to be great. My elite eight picks for 2024 based on lots of research and analytics and how to invest in them. So in order to first know the menu, you have to see what is being served. So taking a look at the different investment options that are out there, and this doesn't happen in any particular order, I'm just going to discuss some of them with you. Understand beforehand that some of these are liquid right away, meaning that you have 100% access to the cash value of these investments on a moment's notice, right? So if you have money in a brokerage account or you have money in real estate, okay, that is liquid. That is money that you can utilize. You can sell the home. Um, you can sell the stock and you have actual assets that you can use in a very quick or short period of time. Others are more deferred. They're planned for down the line, and you might not have access to it right now, but it's helping you build your overall net worth for the future. And those are often in the avenues of retirements, such as IRAs, Roth IRAs, 403Bs, etc. And I'm going to go through the list of the majority of them. Okay, The investment options that I share with you today at this point in time right now is to educate, is to share a little bit about each of them. And I encourage you to do your own research as well. Fact check what I'm saying here. Okay? And I'm not advising you at this very moment which one to select, but I'm just sharing with you with a broad brush all of those options that can be at your disposal. And keep in mind that some of them are more advantageous during various parts of your financial journey based on your age, um, obviously your income level, your particular goals, and maybe where you're at in the grand landscape of investing. Real estate. So typically real estate is less risky with a higher growth over time. Right? Today's focus is not particularly only on real estate, but having rental properties myself, I understand that it is a great player in the game and can help to boost your portfolio in order to leverage passive income. You can also make it active income if that becomes more of your daily grind. Uh, and there's great ways to maximize equity 
along with depreciation to help shelter tax dollars for a total net worth accumulation. And that is something that I really like about real estate. And that's about leverage and having pieces on the chessboard in order to move, having that passive income stream, that continuous rent checks coming in to help to build your ability to enter different positions in various avenues of the investing landscape and to have an overall asset that will continue to appreciate in value in the majority of markets while being able to write off the interest that you have um, had to pay on that loan if you have a mortgage and the depreciation of the property and the physical building itself to help lower your taxes. So there's great advantages here. For people who might not have the cash that's set aside or disposable income in order to purchase a secondary property, um, I would highly recommend another option in this avenue, which allows you to get into the real estate game. And you could take part in it uh, by partaking in REITs. Okay, REITs are real estate investment trusts and there are companies that own or finance income producing real estate across a range of property sectors, right? So we're looking at all different types of sectors. It could be commercial real estate, uh, what have you. And there's an ability for you, like a stock option, to be able to own a small portion of a company that is doing real estate without having the overhead of doing things like property management of a massive down payment because in most cases you're going to have to have a 25 percent buy-in in terms of your down payment in order to take on that second property okay? unless you're living in it and i know the rules can be a little bit different state to state but here um, in the northeast that is what the what the general consensus is the pros for REITs include diversification right being able to have your hand in a lot of different avenues accessibility it's a little bit easier for people to invest in if let's say a share of this REIT is going for $50 versus having to have $50,000 in a down payment to own an income property, all right? Then you can also oftentimes uh, begin with as little as $1,000 if you're getting a little bit more skin in the game. And there's passive income, there's liquidity, and there's competitive returns as well as dividends that are paid out. The cons of the downside of a REIT can include the following, high interest rates, okay? So if the interest rates are out of whack, which they have been for a little while, um, it isn't as advantageous for you as the investor. Uh, this certainly can eat your profits and you don't want that to happen. So you gotta pay attention to the swings in the climate of interest rates and what the feds are doing with the rates. Uh, there can also be a lower margin or those rates can sour it completely. So you really have to be on the ball when it comes to the rates. And then as well as there's dividend taxes, right? Your tax on the gains and you don't have market control. There's also a lot of market volatility. So it's something to consider because uh, you aren't the one who's controlling the game. When you own a rental property, you control the game. Yes, is there a climate where you're renting out the home in? And is there a market? And you have to look at comps and all this kind of thing in terms of what is something that's similar going to rent for in this area for a two bedroom or three bedroom or whatever the, the unit looks like. And can you increase the value? Absolutely, you control it. If you're putting upgrades into it, you, you can then 
deduct that from your taxes, but also the rents can be expected to go up because you're making the property nicer. Um, you also have a key asset, which increases over the course of time. And when you sell it, you can have uh, quite a bit of increase in your total net worth because of that ballooning of the market. And certainly it could slide, but in most climates, when you invest in properties in affluent or even middle-class areas that are on the rise, you might pay more, but you pay for what you get and you will have a key asset in your portfolio that will help you over the course of time. A REIT, unfortunately, you don't have control over the game, so you're kind of at the mercy of those companies who are running um, the real estate. A VICI property, okay? I want you to understand this. Uh, that is a particular opportunity. It happens to be the largest individual REIT holding, and it's a top holding for a couple of reasons. It is based on casino and hospitality and is the largest landlord on the Las Vegas Strip. So you know the Super Bowl is happening tomorrow in Vegas. Uh, you can invest in properties in uh, the commercial space of Las Vegas. Uh, check out VICI. Uh, that is the uh, name of the REIT, and it would allow you to invest in that climate in Las Vegas. Um, there's also the REIT O, uh, commercial real estate. And it's the biggest companies in the world that are part of it, like the FedExes, the, the Regal Cinema, the BJ's, Dollar General, Lowe's. Um, this is actually trading for as little as $55 a share. So you can be part of real estate for, like I said, as low as $55 a share. The second that I wanted to discuss today is bonds. Bonds are fixed income instruments. All right, they're also known as or part of the securities category. Uh, they're used by the government in order to help to raise money and, and borrow from investors to do a lot of different uh, public projects, right? And, and they're typically issued to raise funds for these projects and in return, a bond is given or issued as a promise of payment back to the investor. And there's a specific amount or rate of return over a certain period of time. These are typically safer on the investment side of things and have a lower risk tolerance level. Um, and they're tied to municipalities and these larger projects, but they do take time to pay out. And there still is risk involved if it goes belly up. Um, the projects are happening and, and usually this money is affixed and uh, because it's happening in a certain amount of time. Secondly, the bonds pros and cons include what I agree with in terms of this is they can offer a stream of income. So that's the pro. That's something that's positive about bonds. It can also help to diversify your portfolio and uh, mitigate risk because they tend to be less risky than something like stocks. And when stocks are doing particularly well and the market's on the rise, usually bonds are less um, utilized versus if stocks are, there's a downside and you know, there's a lot of volatility that people are oftentimes getting into bonds, but you should have some kind of bonds in your portfolio. A lot of times uh, investors will say at least 10%, 15% for those who are more conservative. Again, it depends upon your risk tolerance level. The cons are you're exposed to the investors to credit and default of risk, and they typically generate a lot lower return um, over other types of investments. So they're not as advantageous. And with inflation the way that it is right now, bonds really don't make too much sense. 
One of the highest yielding bonds, known as Spider, comes from Bloomberg. Um, that is a high yield bond ETF exchange traded fund. And I'm going to talk about those in a moment. Um, but that is really great because you can actually get it for $94.57 at the very moment um, when this podcast was recorded. And has a 0.4% expense ratio. So it's not very costly um, to own and operate. And it gives you the advantage of being part of a bond asset class. However, you don't have to have thousands of dollars tied up for years and years on end, but you can have a little piece of your portfolio or pie in the bond realm. Mutual funds. This helps you to diversify your portfolio and spread your money out. Mutually owned companies that you're part of, you're also involved with other shareholders. So I want you to think about it like this. You go to the grocery store and your shopping basket is the mutual fund. You're pushing the cart. Your friend Joe is pushing the cart. Your friend Jamie is pushing the cart. And a bunch of other friends are still all pushing this cart. They're all mutually funding it. And I put some apples in the cart and Joe puts some oranges and Jamie puts um, you know, some oatmeal and uh, another guy puts in uh, something else and you got all these ingredients in your cart. So it's the same cart owned and operated by everybody, mutually funding it. Everybody's contributing. Everybody owns a portion of it. And it, you're owning a portion of a lot of different items, a lot of different companies. So you're diversifying, which is a good thing. However, the bad thing is the expense ratio is super high. The fees are outrageous. And this was something that a lot of people didn't look into um, during the 90s and early 2000s when mutual funds were a hot topic and commodity because it allowed you to own a piece of various companies instead of having all of your eggs in one basket because what happens if that basket breaks then your investment goes kaput now with mutual funds you're able to mitigate some risk because if the eggs fall out of the cart, you still have all the ingredients in the cart and the cart can continue to get filled. And other people are also offsetting that risk since they're providing more to it. The downside, and this is something that I learned in exponential proportions when I read Tony Robbins' great book, Money Masters of the Game, he discussed how often people are losing 2.5 to even upwards of 4% to fees on mutual funds, and that happens over the course of your investing lifetime, this can cost you hundreds of thousands of dollars. And that is something that I would never want to see happen to you, where it'd be padding the pockets of a financial advisor um, or the fund manager, the company that's holding your money to invest in these mutual funds and not going in your pocket. That's outrageous. So what is a better option, you might ask? Well, an ETF, and I shared that before, there are exchange-traded funds. And these are very similar to mutual funds. However, these are traded more similarly to stocks, yet they have a very low expense ratio. And they're very much more advantageous because they provide not only diversification, but have various sectors across the investing landscape. The nice thing is that you don't have to take much out of your pocket. And oftentimes these things could be just traded, you know, in a simple brokerage account. You don't need to have a fund manager 
to, to do that for you. And because of that, the fees are very minimal and the money is being kept in your pocket. And that is something that I highly recommend. Um, some examples of good ETFs include Vanguard ETF, VOO is the ticker symbol, right? This is gonna follow the S&P 500 index. And it's one of the top investment options, as well as QQQ Invesco. Um, this allows investors to take part in over 100 of the most innovative companies in the world right now. And that is trading at $429 or so per share. Now, switching gears a little bit here, treasuries. Treasuries are where you loan the government money by buying a treasury bond. So we're back to bonds, just flipping back here for one moment, um, or a note or a bill in order to earn interest in return. So don't get tripped up with the vernaculars and the language here. Um, but the selling of U.S. debt is happening through treasuries and finances. Can you believe that? The U.S. government is selling debt to people that are helping to basically and essentially bail them out over the course of time. So you're lending your money to the government so the government can utilize it for a certain period of time and they're giving it to you back with a select amount of interest. Treasury bills are also called T-bills. Okay, which are short-term obligations. So depending upon the time that you're investing period, this is usually one year or less when it comes to the T-bill uh, and they're issued at a discount from the maturity value. Treasury notes, on the other hand, are usually intermediate to a more longer term and those uh, have maturation periods of one to 10 years, meaning that your investment is going to be locked in with the government for one to 10 year period of time. Usually the ones that are 10 years will give you a higher yield than the ones that are there for a year or so. There's also investments that you can lock in money for a period of time called CDs, Certificates of Deposit. Okay, these are going to be issued mostly by banks, financial institutions within a fixed period that you have to invest the money for. Sometimes that could be six months, a year, a year and a half, two years. And most often these rates are guaranteed and sound CDs would have a, um, a rate that is guaranteed. And usually the higher uh, amount of time that's allocated for you to lend your money to this bank financial institution, the higher yield they will have over that course of time. There are cash assets, another type of investment class. Um, most often people utilize high yield savings accounts. That is a hot topic of commodity right now. Um, the majority of them are providing at least four to 5% in terms of that yield on an annual basis. It's guaranteed money that's coming to you for allowing your money to be with that financial institution or a bank that's paying you. And there's no risk because it is liquid. You can take your money out at any time. Um, Although you do have to pay attention because the feds are raising or lowering the rates and the rate of yield that you're getting, the percentage of interest that you're getting in return for allowing your money to sit in there uh, can vary. Annuities are yet another option. Now we're getting into more longer term financial plays here. Uh, it's a financial product that pays out a fixed stream of payments to an individual primarily to use as fixed income for retirees. So this is 
usually uh, utilized by people who are in retirement because they want to have guaranteed income um, for a duration of time. And, and maybe they didn't plan enough for retirement, or maybe they did, and they, and they want to have a more uh, low-risk option uh, than their money locked into just purely the, uh, the stock market or the S&P 500. Um, so it's a written contract typically done by a life insurance company in which the insurance company makes a series of regular spaced payments. And in return, uh, with that premium that you have paid, you get the annuity and uh, that maturizes or comes to fruition over the course of time. And then you're paid out. Life insurance policies are yet another way that you can diversify yourself. And most people think of it as, yes, doing just that, protecting your life, having insurance, a security blanket. Um, so that way, if yourself or your spouse were to unfortunately pass, uh, your children or the beneficiaries are taken care of. And there's different types, obviously, of life insurance, term life, um, where you buy it for a certain period of time, could be 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. And if something were to happen, God forbid, um, you are covered during that period of time. And the timetable runs out, uh, the premiums you paid, nothing happens to them. Uh, they're kept by the insurance company and you have to either re-up and get a new term or you can decide I have enough money invested and I uh, basically have enough net worth that I can insure myself. And that's a decision you have to make. There's also a whole life and this provides truly for your entire life permanent death coverage, um, but you have to pay into it every single year from the time you sign up until the time that you die. And then there's my favorite type of life insurance, which I think is extremely advantageous for um, the wise investor, and that is universal indexed life insurance. Um, sometimes it's referred to as flex life, and this is an insurance policy okay, that provides benefits to you and your family if you die, so you have that security blanket. Um, it also has cash growth value. Uh, it's tied to the S&P 500 index. And the interesting thing here is there's a 0% floor, which means you cannot lose. So the money that you invest into this thing, not only does it provide the death benefit from day one, but it also is going to compound and provide interest and yields of return. And you cannot lose, meaning if the S&P 500 dips by 10%, this year, you lose nothing on your investment. If it dips by 20%, you lose nothing on your investment. Okay, the only caveat is there is a cap in terms of what you can have when it comes to growth. So in this case, if the S&P 500 were to balloon and skyrocket and hit a yield of 28% for the year, the max that you could get in return in New York State as of February 2024 is eight and a half percent and state some states are nine percent there's not too much um difference in terms of the total amount of percentage based on state to state uh, but if you get something that's between zero percent and eight and a half most contracts are going to give you a hundred and five percent of that return meaning if the s p did seven and a half percent during fe uh february or january rather 2024 through December 2024, then we, they would pay you out 105% of that. So you'd be getting a higher percentage than that 7.5% mark. 
However, if he clips 8.5%, okay, you would get the 8.5% because that is the cap. So why, some people would say, would you do that and utilize it as an investment vehicle? Well, there's a couple important reasons. Number one, it also helps as a long-term investment vehicle because the cash continues to accumulate and grow and there's really zero risk. The benefit is you can't lose on it. It also has a long-term care rider. There's a critical illness and chronic illness rider as well, meaning that you have access to, in some capacities, 80% or so of the money while you're still living of the death benefit. If you were to get a really terminal or critical illness and you could use that, like someone who got cancer, God forbid the child got sick, they could use that money, right? to live on during their lifetime, not wait until death. The other great benefit is that it has tax-free growth and can be used to leverage, okay, and utilize a completely guaranteed income stream at the time of retirement. Now, I'm probably going to do a very in-depth episode on this later on uh, throughout this year, but it's just another thing to keep in mind commodities. These are basic goods that can be transformed in other goods and services. And examples include uh, metals, energy resources, agriculture. These are things that are utilized by people and our government and also um, in our economy on a regular and daily basis. It could be something as uh, simple or as easy as toilet paper, for example, is a type of commodity. Um, oil is also a commodity. Other private ventures you could invest in, right? These could be crowdfunding opportunities for companies that are startups or trying to grow. Uh, these can also be uh, ventures with family and friends and private lending. Uh, there's lots of different avenues that you can walk down in terms of private ventures. And the nice thing about that is if you're somebody who is a private lender, you could charge however much interest because you have a captive audience that maybe has bad credit or something um, or some reason that they need money. Maybe they're uh, building homes or they're renovating homes and, and they need the money quick and, and they're not able to wait for the bank to clear it. They want to have a quick close. You have that advantage. You control the game. And that's something that you're going to see here with the majority of investments is controlling the game, understanding pace, balance, and um, all of the different assets that are at your disposal. Retirement funds. I'm glad that you asked. This is something that I know you're excited about uh, because not everybody wants to work forever. I certainly don't want to, um, although I do love sharing with you all of this knowledge and uh, coming to you on a bi-weekly or uh, weekly basis on this podcast. But retirement is something that we have to plan for and it's something that is truly important. Uh, so you have lots of different code names based on what the IRS designates as a long-term invested vehicle and something that's deemed as retirement. 401ks, IRAs, Roth IRAs, simple SEPs, 403Bs, deferred compensation plans, pensions, um, you name it, right? All of these are investment vehicles for the long haul, for the future. And the majority of them, uh, your investments are not going to be touched until you're 59 and a half years old, unless you want to pay a heavy penalty. Um, there's also a 
very important caveat or piece here that you have to look at which tax bucket it falls into, right? There's after-tax dollars versus pre-tax dollars. There are ways to grow your money and your retirement funds tax-free or tax-deferred so you don't pay it until later on. And depending upon which one that you decide to choose, it can help to offset income if you go the tax-deferred route, but you will pay at the tax rate um, when you withdraw it at the time of retirement. So there's always going to be pros and cons when it comes to your retirement funds. You want to seek out wise financial planning and advising. Um, so make sure that you take that into consideration. Also, if you were to withdraw early from the majority of these, you might be experiencing upwards of 40% loss on that investment um, in taxes and penalties. So trying to set it and forget it like uh, grandma's favorite recipe she puts in the crock pot and slow and steady wins the race. Pension programs. Uh, these are great retirement plans that in various states and different capacities work for the government, um, agencies, you know, police officers, fire, uh, rescue workers. There's, there's different options that are pension plans that people have. Um, and you could also create your own pension plan. I mentioned uh, universal index life insurance. There is a way to create your own pension. Um, and these are a defined benefit plan that guarantees monthly payments for life or lump sum payment as retirement. Pensions require you to pick an option. And this is extremely important. If you're somebody that does have a pension, I want you to write this down and maybe even replay this to listen to this piece of the episode again because pensions require you at time of retirement the end of your career to pick an option usually they give you 30 days or less to pick which allowance you would like to enter into and what does that mean that means that at the end of your working career you have 30 days to decide which type of pension plan you are going to utilize why because when you die, there's in some plans going to be a beneficiary. In order to get the max amount of money, you would have to take the single max allowance option, which guarantees payout until you die. But if you have loved ones that you care about, then you're going to have to basically purchase an insurance policy on your pension plan. And that's where they get pop up joint allowance, they get joint allowance, all these different types of investment opportunities within your pension and there's a reduced rate that they're paying you uh, versus the max rate because if you were to pass away a beneficiary is also going to get paid but they have to have a insurance policy to insure those monies to make sure that it's guaranteed for the person that you love lots to think about and consider number five we're getting closer so those elite eight picks coming up in just a few short minutes. And we're to my favorite segment of this episode, and that is when invest investing evaluate stocks. So what in the world do we look for? Okay. Where in the world is Carmen San Diego? You heard about that when, at least when I was a kid growing up and um, it was like a, a, a search, like when you're out there on a beach or you're looking for buried treasure. Well, the way that you're going to find treasury in a stock and a good one to invest in for the long haul are a couple important factors. There's actually eight of them that I'm going to break down right here, right now for you. Make sure that you take note of this. 
Number one, know the company. You might say, well, that goes without saying. I'm not just talking about knowing the name of the company. I'm discussing understanding the analytics, understanding what the company actually does, the sector of business that it operates in, okay? Their goals and their mission. Do you align with it? And if you don't, probably not good to invest in it. Number two, price. Can you afford to enter into this position, to take on this investment? You might want to, maybe it's a very reputable company, but can you actually afford it? Does it make sense for you based on the time frame of what you're using this investment for in terms of the stock? Number three, because after all, you're becoming an owner, a partial owner of this company, which is very cool, not only in theory, but in actuality, because when the company grows and does better, you pad your pockets. Company suffers loss. You also experience that as well. Number three, volatility, the risk factor. We talked about that earlier. It's worth mentioning again. You have to weigh the risk versus the reward. Is it low, medium, or high risk? Is there a lot of volatility? Is it something that maybe is unknown? Um, and I'm not going to get into penny stocks and all these other different ways that you can invest, but realize what type of risk you're taking on and be comfortable with being okay with if you lost it all. In actuality, will that happen? Probably not. If it dips very low, I say stay in it for a little while longer because it can rebound. Number four, the CEO's track record. So the people who are running this organization, what is in their history? What did it look like when they ran a different company before? And maybe they don't have experience in it, but how has it been going since they took over? All of those are very important pieces to consider when investing in a company. Most people don't think about that. Number five, what does the balance sheet look like? For you of those out there that are like, man, now I'm really getting caught and lost in the weeds. Don't worry. Have no fear. I'm going to break down balance sheet. A balance sheet really is essentially like a cash flow analysis seeing how much income's coming in versus debt versus expenses, and really looking at things like gross profit, net revenue, okay? The market cap, the overall business sector that it's involved in, gross margin, price, okay? The price of that stock um, and the price to earnings. What does that look like? What does the ratio look like? How much free cash is available for that company to spend? And of course, debt debt to income ratio is a very large factor when it comes to um, the total valuation and the balance sheet so what is that company worth overall and the higher dollar amount that it's worth if all the other things check off it's probably a very sound investment to make number six year to date return okay what does that mean well you have to look at the time frame what is that investment done in this year Okay, over a one year period, over a five year period, 10 years, and then the max when you Google whatever stock it is that you're trying to look up and research, um, that would be since inception or since that company came to be publicly traded. Okay, so that's important because if you're seeing this linear progression, the trend upwards, all right, you're going to see probably more volatile years um, during the beginning stages. Um, but most that have been tried and true are going to continue to increase in a linear progression. And if it's 
matching or beating the S&P 500 index over the past 30 years, uh, fantastic. If it's a newer stock and it's you know been beating S&P over the last five years, okay, maybe take it with a grain of salt. You can invest in it for sure. Do your homework. Look at all those other checklists um, and understand what the company stands for, what it's, what it's actually involved in, who's running it, uh, the price, and also their total balance sheet. Number seven, expert analysis, okay? Understand the buy rating. It's very simple. You can go on Morningstar, Google it, okay? You can look up any stock and it'll help you to understand, is this something that's a buy now? Is this a hold? Is this a sell? Based on the analytics, based on research, based on what the experts are sharing, the insights, all right? Shows like um, CNBC money, right? Those kind of things. They're, they're very helpful. Tune into them. Take it. It could be a little bit biased. However, you're getting research. Do your own research. You know, talk to your investment professional, the person that's working with you, right? And, and get all the information before you make the selection. And then there's a great opportunity for you on Stock Advisor, okay, by The Motley Fool. Um, this can help you as well. And I don't work for them, okay, but I take advantage of this and get all of the analytics, get all of the data, get all of the research done for you. And right now they're running a special that you can get it for as little as $49 for the entire year. And I guarantee you if, okay, let me backtrack. It's almost a guarantee that with one stock selection, okay, that money will be remade probably within the next few months. Okay, if you're a really avid investor and you understand how this stuff works. You can never guarantee anything when it comes to the investment world, okay, um, unless it is a fixed and it is 100% uh, going to be paid out to you and some investment opportunities are. When it comes to stocks, it's very rare. Uh, one thing that you can expect is dividends, okay, and those are, those are uh, payable to um, the stock shareholders. That is something that can be guaranteed. But outside of that, I shouldn't be making any guarantees. So I wanted to just put that out there. But I am a very strong proponent. I used that um, back during the COVID time and it helped me to make serious gains in my portfolio and selection, as well as educating me to become a more advantageous investor. And number eight, don't rely solely on the company's reputation. Reputation is great. Some of these companies have a great reputation, others might not. Um, it is a decent barometer, certainly. Take it for a grain of salt, but also look at the longevity of the company that you are investing in. Can I get a drum roll, please? All right. It is the time and moment that you have been waiting for, and it's time for us to actually take a look at the historical metrics of the S&P 500. So we're gonna do that first, and then I'm gonna give you my elite eight picks before we close out today's episode. So over the course of the last 100 or so years, S&P 500 index, and you can take a look at that, just Google it. It will show you the rates of return, all right, starting in uh, the 1920s all the way now until 2024. And you're going to see a bar graph. And that bar graph is going to show green and red. All the green is all the positive growth. All the red is obviously the losses. And there's far more green than there is red, which is great for investors. And also the rate of return 
okay, which has been somewhere between 10 and 11.5% over that duration of time. And compound interest is our friend, as we know. If you're getting 10%, okay, using the rule of 72, you divide 10 into 72, and that will give you a recipe for success because your money will double. In that case, if you got a 10% rate of return, that's based on the S&P 500 index, okay? Your money would double every 7.2 years. And that's pretty good. So if you're someone who's younger, who has, you know, maybe 30 something years until retirement, because you're you know, in your late 20s or 30 years old, okay, that means your money's going to double at least four times on average, maybe even five. That's a lot of compounding. That's a lot of growth. And even people for a little bit older, you know, in the middle of their working career, it's going to be advantageous for you as well. well. Let's look at the last 10 years rate of return. So after the crash in 20, 2008, it increased by 23.45%. It increased by 12 12.78%, 13.41, 29.6, 11.39, 9.54, 19.42% .4 increase we had a dip of 0 0.73 we had an increase of 9.54 19.42 we had a, a dip of 6.24 we had an increase of 28.88 percent we had an increase of 16.26 percent we had an increase of 26.89 percent a dip in 2022 of negative 19.44 percent an increase in 2023 and 24.23%. And then so far this year, 1.59% return. So over the last 10 or so years, it's dipped three times. It stayed even once and it's gone up six different times. And if you include this year, seven. That's a lot of information. Okay. So over the course of time, it's going to have more increases than decreases. In if you didn't do anything um, and nothing else, I would say invest in the S&P 500. And that would be very, very advantageous for you over the course of time. But I'm a strong proponent of diversifying your portfolio as much as possible. But since we're on stocks, and I know you've all been waiting for this, the last minute or so of this episode, I want to concentrate on just that, my top elite eight stocks for February 2024 and beyond. Number one, Truist, ticker symbol TFC, trading at 36.79 as of when this podcast was recorded, um, as of February 2nd, actually. And the growth potential in dividend uh, has a $2.08 dividend per stock at a 5.7% yield annually. It's one of the fastest growing financial institutions out there. Highly recommend Truist. Number two, UEPATH, ticker symbol PATH, P-A-T-H. Um, this one at the time of this podcast was at 2343. Uh, it has gone down, it's on the cheap side. It will certainly come back up. Um, I'm very much expecting that, so are the analytics, the uh, experts out there. And this is a company that automates business processes. It is an AI stock. So if you're somebody that understands artificial intelligence is the wave of the future, 
UiPath is certainly a company that is working very hard in that market sector. Number three, Advanced Micro Devices, AMD. It's a semiconductor business, a chip producer. Um, it's producing processes in the tech sector. And this one's trading at 177, has high growth potential. Um, it's grown 66% in the past six months. And I believe it still has a ton of upside. Number four, Airbnb. You've all probably stayed at one at one time or another, or you will. Trading at $146.53 at the time of this recording. It's only up 1.5% in the past five years, interestingly enough. But it's up 22% in the last year, and it has a lot of growth potential left on the table. Number five, Visa, ticker symbol V. Big growth potential here, $277 per share. It is also a dividend stock um, yielding a 0.75% dividend yield and $1.87 per stock to its investors. Uh, people keep swiping their credit card, right? The plastic keeps coming out of the wallet. High interest rates are <laughs> really increasing the debt in this country. And Americans can fill your pocket by going into debt and not paying their credit card off if you own Visa. Amazing. The gains that could be made based on other people. And that's what it is. Here it is. Use other people's money. Some people are not smart or intelligent in the way that they do things. You can be. Number six, Spotify, ticker symbol SPOT, S-P-O-T, was trading at $222.47. No one is turning off the music, like that hit song by Rihanna, Please Don't Stop the Music. Wait, people aren't stopping the music. They're listening to podcasts. They're trying to educate themselves. Joe Rogan just signed a deal for over $250 million with Spotify. Are you kidding me? Guess what? Spotify has a lot of money to shell out and its investors are going to make money over the course of time with new podcast platforms and subscription growth. Number seven, ServiceNow, ticker symbol N-O-W. Get it now because it continues to increase. $780 per share, a little bit hefty on the price tag. Cloud-based computing mega giant. This one grew by over $2 billion in the final quarter of the year of 2023. How about that? And now it is ranked number two by stock expert Tom Gardner because of implementations in what else? AI workings. Another next wave generation stock. Number eight, the final one that I'm going to talk about today. Well, actually, I have a bonus pick. But number eight is Arista Networks. Ticker symbol, A-Net. This is also another cloud computing company. It's a titan in the technology sector, and it's growing to become one of the biggest in the industry. This one was trading at $273 per share. The final one that I'm going to share with you today, the mega behemoth that continues to gain exposure, notoriety, and really putting a lot of money in people's pockets, and that is Mercado Libre. Ticker symbol M-E-L-I, trading at a whopping $1,772.90 at the time of this recording. It is Latin American-based company now in the U.S. spreading to countries across the globe. And it's one that operates 
online marketplaces dedicated to e-commerce and online auctions. This thing has been up 49% in the last 12 months and is up a whopping 409% over the past five years with ample growth still left on the table. So my hope is that you will do your research, you fact check, you see your financial planner, and if you do not have one, feel free to contact me for my personal recommendations. Um, you can do so at danielmjason at gmail.com or check out my website, ef3life.com slash financial and contact me through that site. Lastly, keep learning. We are always trying to grow, to improve, to become better, and that is one of the essential necessary ingredients in order for you to win with your finances. You have to become more literate. There's so many videos, podcast episodes, and of course, literature out there. So pick up some books and dive into them. Like my bestseller, Winning with Money, Dollars and Cents, A Comprehensive Guide to Financial Freedom and Peace. You can get that on ef3life.com slash financial as well as on amazon.com. To round out this episode, I wanted to give you my top reads to date in the financial world, and this goes in no particular order. Number one, the first one I'm going to share with you, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Number two, The Intelligent Investor by Benjamin Graham. This is Warren Buffett's financial Bible. Check it out. It's for the advanced investor, though. Just a little caveat there. Number three, Money Master of the Game as well as the book Unshakable by Tony Robbins. The Richest Man in Babylon, another great read, also has a, a creative storyline that helps you to understand the concepts of paying yourself first and investing for the future. Rich Dad and Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. Retire Inspired and the Everyday Millionaire by Chris Hogan. Total Money Makeover and the Complete Guide to Money by Dave Ramsey. He is the man behind Financial Peace University. And lastly, but not least, Rental Property Investing by Brandon Turner. For those who want to get into real estate to understand the ins and the outs, the pros and the cons, and everything in between, check that out, as well as check out the Bigger Pockets podcast. If you learned something today, I hope that you will share this episode and podcast with someone that you care about and love because it will benefit them. Please share it and tag us on social media at EF3Life and the Life to the Fullest podcast so this show can grow. My hope is that you turn your day job, your side hustles, and everything else that you're doing in your life into a green money-making machine. Honestly, the best way to live is with abundance in this mindset. Right, And when we have more, we can do more, we can live, and we can give like nobody else and live like never before. For the Life to the Fullest podcast, I'm your host, Dan Jason. This has been a pleasure to join you today on the EF3 Life platform. Until next time, God bless you. And remember the words of Jesus in the gospel who said, I came so that they might have life and have it more abundantly.